0: Luke chapter 24, where Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with uh, two disciples. Uh, But before we get there, I want to bring you up to speed. Last week, we celebrated Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time in his ministry. And as he was entering Jerusalem, the people started cutting palms off the trees and waving them at him and laying them down on the ground for him to walk over. He actually rode the Easter donkey into, into Jerusalem we call it a bunny. He wrote the Easter donkey into Jerusalem and, and he wrote it in and people worshiped Jesus as a king. And he received their worship as a king, not because he's deluded, but because he really is the king of kings. Yes. Now the people didn't understand that how he was going to take his rulership. They expected him to overthrow Rome, but instead Jesus was going to overthrow death. So he's entering and they're worshiping and they're celebrating. And then everything falls apart. It goes crazy throughout the week. There'll be more on that after we read the text. But Jesus received their worship because in doing so, he declared his kingship. I know sometimes we're concerned to say that Jesus is God because we're like, well, did he ever say that he's God? The answer is yes, absolutely. To the people he was ministering to, he said he was God. But if we don't understand that the the symbolism and what he did, uh, we might be mistaken to say that, oh, no, he never said he's God. No, he said he was God when he claimed to be the same as the father. He claimed to be God when he received worship. People knew he was a great prophet. People knew he was a great teacher. People knew he was a great minister. But to receive worship put him in, in either heretical territory, it made him a blasphemer, or it made all of his teaching, or he was confirming the fact that he is actually God. You with me? Okay, so that's what happened a week ago. Now we find ourselves on the other side of his crucifixion, on the other side of even his resurrection. Now, the passage, I'm, I'm going to read a lot of scripture, so please don't check out. I'll say, I'll say uh, something like, these are God's words to us, amen, and I'll pray. That can be your sign to, like to pay attention again. All right? So like if you get lost. So it's uh, Luke chapter 24 verses 13 through 32. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. That's the things I just t- talked to you about. While they were talking about them and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're having and that you're holding with, other, with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, said to him, are you the only visitor to, to Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women in our company have amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen visions of angels, said that he was alive. Some of those who were, who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, they did not, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is now spent is far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on that road? While he opened to us the scriptures? These are the words of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word that instructs us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness and lets us know about the greatest story ever told in Jesus' name, amen. If you phased out, you can come back now. The road to Emmaus from Jerusalem was a seven-mile road that led out of Jerusalem. And the disciples were walking toward Emmaus, away from Jerusalem. The thing that strikes me The most about the resurrection of Jesus is that his disciples didn't even expect Jesus to rise from the dead. Or they would have been standing at the tomb. If I told you that I was going to rise from the dead, I'd hope you think I was a lunatic. But maybe out of sheer curiosity, showed up at my casket at the wake three days later, and you're like, I wonder if he's going to do it or if he really is just an idiot. And I wouldn't rise from the dead because I'm not God. But you would think that the people who walked with him for three years and rose dead people and made blind eyes open and made deaf people hear. You'd think that the man who walked on water and calmed the storm, if he says he's going to raise from the dead, you've got to give him the benefit of the doubt and at least show up to see if he does it. It's like that friend who says he's always coming over to your house and they never do or they don't show up at the party or whatever. And they're like, just give him the benefit of the doubt this time. Give Jesus the benefit of the doubt and be at the tomb. The two ladies who went to the tomb and discovered that it was empty were only there to anoint his body with oils that you put on dead people. They really didn't expect him to resurrect. They really expected him to still be dead and to be in the tomb. So they came ready to prepare the dead body, but it was empty. And so they went and they told everybody and then they went and they came back and they're like, well, it was empty, but we didn't see Jesus. So we're not sure what happened. These disciples, knew this much of the story and they were still walking away from Jerusalem. Which to me signifies that they really didn't think, though the tomb was empty, that Jesus had risen from the dead because I'd want to see my friend that had just raised from the dead. Wouldn't you? It's kind of scary. Maybe that's why it's quiet. Or it's because I forgot to tell you that you can talk back to me and you can say amen here if you agree. And you can say, amen, if you don't agree, but that'd be using it wrong. (laughs) So, so they're walking away from Jerusalem and they're heading back to this village. And we don't know if they're going to Emmaus or past that. And they're having, though they're headed in the wrong direction, they're having the right discussion that opens up the door for God to be able to meet them. And I don't know what you're doing in your everyday life. I don't know what you did last night. I don't know where you came from or where you're going. I don't know what you believe or used to believe or used to do or did or what you're planning on doing this afternoon. Not a clue. I don't know if you're heading away from Jerusalem because you don't want to see God or you're afraid that God's going to wreck your life or if you're running toward Jerusalem because you're so excited to see your Savior. Not sure who you are in this room yet, but we're in one of those two places. But what I do know is that even if you're going in the wrong direction, being here this morning puts you in the right place to hear from God today. And there are other things that we can do that I'll talk about at the end of my message that that help put us in the right place to see if what Jesus said is true. So they're having the right discussion and Jesus runs up and he he sees them having the right discussion. He sees these two people talking or arguing. They're they're sad. They're like, man, he was supposed to deliver us from, from Rome. He was supposed to overthrow the government. We worshiped him. He received our worship. And all he did is die. All we got is a dead prophet and nobody to show for it. What do we do? And they're walking along and Jesus sees them and he comes up alongside them. And he's like, what you talking about, Cleopas? (laughs) And they stopped, and they were sad, and they're like, are you an idiot? Everybody knows what's going on, dummy. This guy, Jesus, we thought he was going to deliver us. He didn't deliver us. Not only did he not deliver us, but he's dead. What kind of deliverer dies? There's no crying in baseball. You can't promise to, to set me free and then die. That's not how this works, Jesus. What are you doing? They're all dead in an empty tomb. And so they don't realize it's Jesus. Their eyes are closed to it. And so they're like, they're, so Jesus asked. And, and he, the reason he asks, and the reason he asks those questions, and the reason he draws questions out are, are twofold. One, because that was a teaching method used by rabbis in that generation. They would teach by asking questions. I have a pastor who does that in my life. He's just frustrating. <laughs> well, what do you think this means? I don't know what it means. That's why I'm meeting with you. Give me the answer. You know, but he wants me to mine out. He wants me to read my Bible. He wants me to pray. He wants me to talk to God. He wants me to, to seek wisdom. He wants me to worship. He wants me to trust and believe. He doesn't want to just give me the answer right up front because he really wants me to know it and not just do what he knows. There is a place where we've got to do what somebody else knows, right? If if somebody tells you the road's out, you don't have to learn that for yourself, (laughs) right? Just park your car, bust out your Google Maps and find a new route, rerouting. You don't even have to find a new route, just change direction, Google Maps will get you there. But some things you don't have to learn on your own, some things you do have to learn on your own. And a wise teacher will help you sort between those things. Another time Jesus asked a question he knew the answer to is when the rich young ruler came to him and said, good teacher, what do I have to do to be perfect, basically? And Jesus is like, why are you calling me good? Now, some people think that Jesus is, the, oh, he says, why do you call me good? The only one that's good is God. He wasn't saying, hey, rich young ruler, I'm not God. He was saying, are you just using lip service with me to compliment me or do you know something? Do you know the truth about me? Or are you just talking? As it turns out, he was just talking. He didn't know the truth about Jesus. But that was never a denial of his authority. It was never a denial of his headship. If I was messing with somebody and they said, hey, David, would be like, why are you calling me David? Because well, it's your name? Okay, <laughs> that, that works. <laughs> right? But, but if, you, if you ask about the title, it's just confirming, just trying to find out. Hey, hey rich ruler, do you know who I am? So he asks them this question not because he doesn't know; he wants them to think out loud. He wants them to talk to him. He wants them to express the things that are in their heart, so that he, so that it opens up a place for him to be able to minister. Sometimes we don't. We're not willing to receive from God because we're holding on too, so strongly to our disappointment and our shame and our disappointment and our, and our fear and our anxiety and everything else. And we're holding on. God wants to minister to us. He wants to love us. He wants to care for us. But we're like, I'm so mad at you. And maybe the only thing you got to do is be like, God, I am mad at you. And you let go of that. And now he can do something. So the disciples are so sad. They're so disappointed. And this is what they did. And this is why I think they were mad at him. So Jesus asked this question because he wants them to work it out. Not because he doesn't know, but because he really wants them to know. And he wants them to let go of what it is that they're holding on to. And then Jesus listens. It's amazing that we serve a God who listens. He hears us. It's cliche, but true that we don't always like his answer when he responds but he always hears us. So they tell him about what happened. They tell him about the life of Jesus. Man, this rabbi, this teacher, this leader of ours, he was a remarkable man and a prophet. God was with him and did extraordinary things through him. You wouldn't even, if we told you, you wouldn't even believe it. And Jesus is like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. And so they're going. They're talking about the miracles he performed and the things that he did and the promises that he made. And I'm, I'm sure that they spent special emphasis on the week that led up to there. They talked about Monday, the triumphal entry where everybody worshipped him and they expected him to, to, to set him free. So they threw palm branches at his feet and hailed him as the son of David and sang Hosanna, which means save us. They sang Hosanna to him. Save us, Jesus. Save us now. Save us, Jesus. They told him about that and how they expected him to do it. They talked about he went into the, into the temple and he And he threw the tables and he's like, my house should be a house of prayer for the nations. And he got rid of all these things that were preventing people from worshiping. He's like, get these things out of the way. I want people to get into the temple unhindered to be able to worship and pray. The reason that parking, we think of parking as a problem is not because it's a real problem. It just gets in the way of people being able to worship. But you know, you can worship on your way from the car. So it's not really a real obstacle. It's just you get to worship longer on your way from the car. (laughs) That'd be a good problem to have here, wouldn't it? So so he, they talk about Tuesday, how he cleansed the temple. And then they talk about the rest of the week, how he dominated in the temple. Man, he was teaching and preaching and lighting stuff up. And everybody's ears were being opened. Their eyes were being opened. Everybody's getting really excited. Oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen right now. And in case you don't know, Jerusalem normally had 80,000 to 100,000 people living there. At the time of Passover, when all this was going down, Everybody, all the, all the Jewish people came from all over to celebrate Passover together. So there was something in the neighborhood of three to four million people people in Jerusalem and in the the suburbs of Jerusalem. Uh, The village that these guys are walking to, Bethany, where Jesus was sleeping, probably all the way to Emmaus, right? There are people living everywhere. And so there's this huge crowds, and they're like, he chose right now to start it. We're about to become an army, and we're going to overthrow things. Hail Jesus. And then everything fell apart. And the chief priests hand him over to the Romans and demand that Jesus be crucified. They demand that he be killed in these farce trials and these accusations that were untrue. Even the Romans knew it wasn't true. Pilate was like, why are you trying to kill this guy who hasn't done anything? And he washed his hands of the whole thing said we'll do it cuz i don't want an uprising in my in my in the area that i'm in charge of but i'm doing it for you not for me they talked about his death what a scandal that he was murdered what a disappointment it must have all just been lies most of what he said probably wasn't true all this stuff about the meek inheriting the earth all these promises about god honoring purity all these promises about exchanging death for life, sorrow for joy, mourning for gladness. If he couldn't come through on this, how can we trust anything else he said? And then the empty tomb. Some of our friends went there and it was empty and they came back and told our other friends or other friends went and, and they said it was so, but he wasn't there. So we don't know what happened. We don't expect to see him. We don't, we don't know where he is. And then we learn, I've already stated this, but why they were so sad. They say it kind of late. We thought he was going to redeem us. We thought that he was going to deliver us from the Roman Empire, but now he's just another dead prophet. Maybe you've felt the same way about God. Maybe you've been so sorely hurt or disappointed because he didn't come through and do the thing that you expected him to do or the way that you expected him to do it. Maybe you were hoping that God was going to heal you of an injury or sickness or a friend of disease or cancer and he didn't heal the person. He hasn't healed you. All he did is send friends in to show you his comfort. Maybe you've got financial problems and you've cried out to God and said, God, deliver me from these financial problems. And he didn't give you more money. All he gave you was a book, How to Manage Your Money Better. And we get so disappointed and we get so hurt because we didn't see God move the way we expected that God should move if he was really God. But meanwhile, God is doing something higher and better than what we would ever dream or imagine. See, they wanted him to overthrow the Roman government, but if he had done that, they still would have been slaves to sin. Even if he had had freed them from the Romans, they would have still been trapped by sin and death. They still would have been captive in their own hearts and minds to the things that so easily enslave us, the things that so easily corrupt our soul. Even if your debt got paid off, unless something works itself out in your soul, you're probably just going to end up in the same place. God was doing the better thing. God was doing in Jesus the eternal thing. The thing that would never fall apart. The thing that would never fail. The thing that would never cease to be. I don't want to be crass, but if I ever got sick, you know, what? back in 2007, the doctor said I might die. Uh, I, I had viral meningitis and, and they weren't sure what to do. The doctor said I might die. And I, and I got healed. The one night, two o'clock in the morning, my wife and I were praying and I felt something lift from my body. And I woke up the next day with no pain, no sickness. And I went to the doctor and I was like, hey, I'm better. And I didn't have the courage to tell him that it was prayer and everything else. I was like, I'm just, I'm better. Pastor didn't have the courage. (laughs) Who are you? So I said, I want to stop taking my medicine. And they said, well, you, you, you can stop taking it, but you're going to be in a world of pain. And most people who have meningitis keep having headaches for the rest of their life. And I'm happy to tell you that I don't have headaches. But, right, so, so, it's, so it's amazing. I want to highlight that God healed me, but I also want to highlight that even though I was saved from death, I'm going to die. The healing of my body has been temporary. And I'm thankful for the time that I have with my wife and my kids. I'm thankful for the time that I have with this church family. I'm thankful for the life that I have to go and preach the good news to my friends and family. I'm 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 th- I'm so grateful for the life that I have. Life is valuable and precious. Freedom is valuable and precious, but God was ensuring the permanent thing that could never be taken. Because even when this body dies, I'm going to live forever because of what Jesus did on the cross that week. And so I'm so grateful for that. So then we see that Jesus listens to them. He's, he's saying, hey, guys, you have all the right facts, but you've got the wrong perspective. You're seeing it wrong. See, they had studied, they had studied the Bible, and they knew that the Messiah was going to come a certain way, and he was going to do certain things. And, and Jesus did what they didn't expect the Messiah to do. Because they didn't understand the facts right. More on that in just a second. But then Jesus speaks. Oh foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe. All the prophets have spoken. (laughs) I read that and I was like man. Jesus woke up on the wrong side of the tomb this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Like, <laughs> why, why is he screaming at them? They just, they're just telling him they're sad. Jesus, be nice, Jesus, right now. So you want nice Jesus on Easter Sunday. And he's calling them foolish. And what's that about? Th- these were his disciples. They were people who knew him. They were people who had walked with him. They were people, they were of the people who were going to check on the tomb and going to anoint him with oil. These are close people. The Jewish people had studied the scriptures for generations and known that the Messiah was going to come in and establish a new kingdom. It was going to be a kingdom of peace that knew no end. It was a kingdom of peace that was going to continue forever. And at this point, every single time they were delivered from an oppressor, it happened through force. It happened through warfare. It happened through uh, defeating the people or some massive show of force. And you don't do it by dying. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about when he was saying that he was going to die and rise from the dead. So they didn't, they didn't believe him. But Jesus didn't just call them dummies and leave them in the darkness. He, he saw the disciples. He knew that they knew the scriptures. He even knew what they thought he was going to do. And so what he was going to do is on this walk was connect all the dots for them. Jesus could have started with, hello, it's me. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. It happened. I don't know what to do. He could have been like, hey, guys, it's me. It's Jesus. I uh, died on the cross a couple of days ago. Uh, I rose from the dead. Good to see you. But he didn't. He didn't start that way. He started by teaching them the scripture. He started by, by walking them through the Bible, their Bible, the Old Testament. And he's like, let me show you what the Messiah was going to look like and how by dying and rising from the dead, I fulfilled every single one of these promises to you. It was a seven-mile walk. They had some time, right? There's you going, And so Jesus is like, let's do this thing. Come on, right now, Genesis 3. This is where <laughs> this is where I promised, where God promised that the Messiah was going to come. The first promise of a Messiah to deliver us. And so he's like, let's go. Come on. Let's talk about the law. The law exists so that you can be close to me because I want you close to me. And I wanted to show you how much I love you. And I wanted to show you how sin gets in the way. And anytime sin occurs, something has to die. That's why I had to die. And he talks to him in Exodus. And he's like, hey, you know that whole story of Exodus? It's really a story of what I want to do for all of you spiritually you know the story of the passover lamb and the angel of death and all that yeah that's all about me i mean it was all about that but it was also all about him right it's not just like it was allegorical it's stuff that really occurred it really happened but it had meaning for them then and it had a prophetic meaning for us now that we understand fulfilled in jesus christ so I'm sure he took him to Isaiah 7:14, where God says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Like we read that every Christmas. What we don't understand is that, that the people who heard that word were just, they they didn't connect it to Jesus. A few people did, but the masses did not. Probably went to Isaiah 53 3. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was the one who turned people away from. Uh, he was the one people turned away from. He was despised, and we did not value him. Or perhaps Isaiah 53 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb, he was led to slaughter, and like a sheep silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. Or Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 10, Then I'll pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me, whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. This is where they found themselves now. But he didn't stop there. He went on, and I don't know how much he taught them or how little he taught them. It says that he showed them it in all of Scripture how it concerned him. Can you imagine the effect that this would have on the disciples? Now, they don't believe that this is Jesus yet. They just think it's some guy who's walking alongside them on a path. You know, have you ever been hiking on like the Appalachian Trail or, or uh, maybe not? Uh, maybe the trail in your community, the asphalt one, your sidewalk. Have you walked from your car to the grocery store? The people that come up and walk up to me aren't the people who make a whole lot of sense about spiritual things. No, I won't go there. <laughs> I never meet the normal person on the Appalachian Trail, JC. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they. I mean, <laughs> I'll go partway there. So they're walking on this path. They got nowhere to go, and no cell phones, nothing to be distracted by. No, no games. No, you know, like no signal if they did have cell phones. And so they're they're walking on the path, and and you know, all sorts of people would come up and talk about all sorts of different things. I would imagine. It's like, oh gosh, here comes another one. Here's this idiot doesn't even know what happened to Jesus, you know. And then it turns out that he knows more about this guy Jesus than they could ever conceive of, without him. And so, but can you imagine the effect that this would have on them? So it's a, you know, have you ever? There's there are movies that do this, uh, The Sixth Sense. At the end of the movie, The Sixth Sense. If you haven't watched it, don't watch it. I don't, you're like, whatever. Judge me. You. <laughs> But like the sixth sense, so it turns out this guy that's been friends with the little kid throughout the whole movie, I'm going to ruin the movie for you so you don't even have to watch it anymore. Turns out he's dead. So you think this kid sees all these other dead people, but it turns out like his BFF is actually dead. And so what happens is you realize it at the end of the movie, and then you think through all the movie scenes. And you're like, oh, my goodness. He was talking to himself there there and there and there and there and there. And it's trippy. And you're like, whoa. I had no idea what I was watching that whole time. My reality was was not true. It was real to me. The emotions I experienced were real. The things that I saw were happening in the movie, but it wasn't my perception of it wasn't true. Same thing happens in the TV version of Fight Club. The TV edited version of Fight Club. <laughs> or when you meet someone only to know only to learn later that they're not who you thought they were? That ever happened to you? Like you're talking to somebody and then you walk into class and it's like, oh, that was the professor. Did I cuss? (laughs) Right? Like, you know, you meet somebody in the parking lot and, you know, you're like thinking, you're like, and then you see them in a situation and you're like, oh, did I do the right thing? And you think through every interaction and you think through every, and you obsess about it really. And you're like, oh, I hope I didn't mess that one up. I shot crossed that line. I said this. I said I said that to them, and I, maybe you've never done that. I make mistakes. <laughs> so so they're walking along, and Jesus is teaching them, and um, then he, he then he acts like he's gonna leave. That's just an, uh, that's just amusing to me. It's like he, he makes motion like, okay guys, I'm gonna leave. Invite me. <laughs> What are you all doing for lunch? It's late. But, but Jesus is going to go to leave. And, and, you know, again, they were heading in the wrong direction. We learn later that their hearts were burning. As he was talking about Scripture, their hearts were being stirred. Now, is your heart going to burn when Jesus is moving on your heart? Maybe I don't know. Probably not. My heart didn't burn. I, just, I was just like, this is something I have to give my life to. Yeah. <clears throat> this is something I, I have to believe this is something I'm willing to believe and to give my life to because everything else seems short-sighted or incomplete. They invite Jesus to stay because it's late. They didn't even believe anything about him yet. You can invite Jesus in to have a meal with you by coming to church on a regular basis, by getting in a small group, you can invite Jesus in to have a meal with you by reading your Bible. We do a thing five for five. If you've never read your Bible, I want to challenge you to read your Bible for five minutes for five days this week and see if God doesn't start to stir your heart. Nothing will stir your heart like scripture will. You could start with 1 John. Just look in the table of contents or Google it. It's cool. And and then just read it over and over and over just all week. Just that one 1 John. Nice short book. Or you could read 3 John. It's like not even a page. And you could read it a bunch of times, and so as you read it, see if God doesn't stir your heart, see if God doesn't begin to move in your soul and to change your mind and to awaken your spirit to a new reality. You can um, you can invite your, you can invite Jesus by just showing up at the God's Not Dead movie. And then coming and arguing with me on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock about... Look, I'm not going to defend the production of the movie. I don't know how good that's going to be, right? Like, hey, it could be awful. But really, I'm in it for the content of the movie and for the conversation with you all. So I won't defend casting choices, but we can talk about the philosophical things. We can talk about the theological things. They, They cast Sabrina, the teenage witch, as the believing teacher. It's a cool choice. (laughs) That's not weird at all, is it, Scott? Jesus brought to them. Now, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. I believe that Jesus brought them with this place to to deal with their their disbelief. He showed them scripture before they believed. He talked to them and reasoned with them before they were able to see because soon he was going to leave again. And they couldn't trust what they saw. I mean, we've got three years track record to know they can't trust what they saw. They didn't trust him calming the storm. They didn't trust him raising someone from the dead. They didn't trust him opening blind eyes or healing deaf ears. They didn't believe him when they told him that he was going to raise from the dead. They don't trust the empty tomb. They don't trust the testimony of angels. Seeing him is not going to make the difference. Sometimes we have to believe to see. Sometimes, I would say even oftentimes, we have to believe to see. I want to put up a picture real quick. It's of a dress that is white and gold. Don't judge me. Raise your hand if you see blue and black. You are heretics. Now, you saw this on the Internet last year, right? And it went around. And basically, if you're not familiar with this picture, it is a white and gold dress. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, you want to know what's weird? Because the way that our eyes see this picture, we see it differently. See that bright white spot to the right of the really big ribbon in the middle? Our brains are processing it a certain way in the rods and cones and whatever are in your eyes, in uh, the way that they're interacting with, the way that our brain is reading that image. We are compensating for that because we think it's an overexposure to the image, because it's a picture. For those of you who see black and blue, it's actually black and blue. It's a it's a black and blue dress. You can Google it later. But but we just we just <laughs> we just don't see it yet. But here's the thing. I I, I chose to believe. This might be a terrible example. I'm going to just ruin Easter. <laughs> I chose to believe, by the witness of some of my heretic friends, that it was blue and black. Megan, do you see blue and black? Yeah, because like, you're beautiful. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? Enough of you guys are saying this. I'll believe it. And I started reading about it. And it turns out, you can go ahead and take it down. It's bothering me. (laughs) So, but here's the thing. I now believe that the dress is blue and black. That truth bothers me. It bothers me. The truth about Jesus, sometimes it doesn't make us really happy. Sometimes it bothers us. Sometimes what we see about God and who he is and what his plan is it it 'll bother us, and we've got to fight with it and wrestle with it. What the disciples saw in jesus death and resurrection it bothered them, and on this road, on this trek, Jesus reasoned with them and taught them and trained them what they were really seeing so then but but this the seeing and believing i He, he broke bread and he passed it out. And they were close enough to him that they had probably seen him break bread many times before. There's something about the way people do certain things. Now, Jesus knew he was going to be crucified. Jesus knew his body was going to be broken, his whole ministry. So every time he was breaking bread, he knew what he was going to do at the last supper where he broke bread. He broke bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat. Whenever you do this, do so in remembrance of me. He broke bread, but, you know, so, so when you're like eating dinner and you're breaking bread, every time you break the bread, you'd be reminded, man, I'm going to die a painful death. My body's going to be broken for these people. So he would break it probably a particular way. A man of sorrows, as the Bible described him. He broke it and he blessed them and he passed it out. And then their eyes were opened. Uh, could you play that clip? From the prophet Ratatouille. Ratatouille? That must be joking. This is how I imagine it working. (laughs) Not like that. Like this. He broke the bread, handed it out. (laughs) And they went back to all those times That he had broken bread and passed it out, and they were undone and happy. They were undone and happy. When he broke the bread and handed it out, I think in their mind's eye, they were transported back to all the times that they felt the comfort and the hope and the excitement and the joy of their king. They felt the promise of hope. They felt the promise of life. They felt the promise of of a new possibility of a kingdom of peace that would know no end. All these promises that God had made are true. He's not a liar. He told us the truth. The dead will rise. The the, the sick will get healed. The mourning will have gladness. There'll be joy for sorrow all these promises about God are true not just the promises that Jesus made to his disciples but every promise that God had made throughout all scripture was fulfilled in his resurrection if he was alive and so so they, they get this bread and their eyes are opened and they see Jesus for who he really is it's true it's true and then Jesus vanishes because he's got another appointment. <laughs> Again, they had to believe before they saw it because he wasn't going to be visible to them forever. It's true. And if he's risen from the dead, then all these other promises are true. If, 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 if Jesus... This means that Jesus is alive. This means that Jesus is risen. Not has written, risen, is risen, then, now, and forever. Jesus is risen from the dead. His promises are true for us today. Hey, look, look, just, just, um, three last promises and then I want to close in prayer. Jesus is alive. So, so with this being true, even if you're headed in the wrong direction, God is pleased to pursue you. God is pleased to come after you. God was pleased to bring you to this place today so that you could encounter him and maybe have your eyes opened to the reality of of his kingdom, to the reality of who he is and the reality of his promises. Our faith might not come immediately. I went to church. I don't believe yet. That's okay. There are a lot of people who have been coming to church for a long time that still don't believe They won't admit it. I don't believe some things. So it might not happen right away. No matter how far you thought you ran, no matter what you think you did that disqualifies you, or what you've thought that disqualifies you, I promise you that Jesus is pleased to welcome you. I'm actually going to give you four things. Another thing is if you invite Jesus over for dinner, he's going to take charge. It was the job of the host to break the bread and pass it out. So they invited the guest over and the guest took control and started hosting. So I just want to encourage you that when we invite Jesus into our life and we're like, hey, Jesus, come to my life on Sunday mornings. <laughs> he's going to want to be there on Sunday night and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, Saturday. He doesn't just come and sit as a guest, but he comes and he rules and he takes charge. If we let them, if we let him, and the disciples let him. Philip, can you go ahead and come up and play the keys? Where are you? I just want this to sound really anointed. <laughs> it's like, are gonna... The keyboard player in the background is like slow jamming. Slow jam the news. We're going to slow jam this last point. (laughs) The last thing that I want us all to leave with today is an encouragement that Jesus keeps His word, God keeps His promises. There's not a single promise that God has made or will ever make that won't come fully to fruition. We learned from the disciples that sometimes it looks far different than we expected. It can even be disappointing, but it's far greater than what we had hoped for in the first place. I um, I want I want to close today by inviting anybody who hasn't yet surrendered their life to Jesus to do so today.